When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Tyrod under center. Eckler in the backfield. Mike Williams left on a second and 11. Takes the handoff. Pushing right. Wide open. Right corner. Caught. Touchdown. Chargers. Virgil Green. Tyrod Taylor comes in in the fourth for Phillip Rivers, who finished his day with three touchdowns and 314 yards. All he does is go two for two, 12 yards and a touchdown pass. And you could just hear how the Chargers fans couldn't get enough of it in the background there. I mean, you could barely hear the radio call because there were so many Chargers fans cheering for that Tyrod Taylor touchdown. Uh, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels, in hour number two, we will have Wade Phillips. Um, Sage, were you on a team with Wade Phillips on the coaching staff? I was not. He came to Houston with Kubiak not long after I left there. Ah, but, okay. Uh, Long time, long time, a coordinator. And uh, for a short time in my youth, I believe the head coach of the Denver Broncos. You're right. That, uh, yes. That was that right. And then Tommy Maddox, I feel like, uh, was he at the Denver Broncos for a hot second or something? Something during his era, I think, or something? Yep, I don't know. Yep. So, I, think, I think Tommy Maddox was there way back in the day. And then uh, he coached the Buffalo Bills for a while. And then on and on and on. And now he's written a book. So he's going to come on the show at 3 o'clock, talk about the book. And we're going to talk some old school football. But the reason that I played Tyrod Taylor highlight there is I started going over these power rankings that ESPN uh, put out. Because why not, right? Um, and... I had this thought about how many quarterbacks we just still don't feel like we know about, or there are big questions in 2020, even if they are good or proven. So I wanted to go over some of them with you to try and figure out where we think the Vikings fit into all of this, because I think that some of these quarterbacks start to tell us a story, and then others are just interesting to talk about, like Tyrod Taylor. So the way I want to do this, Sage, is to... Have you tell me whether you would buy or sell stock on these quarterbacks? So the quarterbacks that I want to look at are Tyrod Taylor, Matthew Stafford, Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, Gardner Minshew, Baker Mayfield, and Jared Goff. There's questions about every single one of them, and I want to assess where we stand with them and then talk about whether we think it's right where ESPN has the Vikings in the power rankings. So let's start with Tyrod. If the Chargers go with Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback, would you be buying or selling stock in Tyrod Taylor? Are you thinking that he would 
lock in that starting job and compete in the division, or is he just a placeholder? They're going to draft somebody else, and he'll be out of that job pretty quick. You know, he's one of those guys that um, if they keep, if he ends up being sort of like the starter this year, I gotta imagine they're going to draft a quarterback right off the bat. I, I really do like uh, a Cam Newton going there, but uh, beside the point, I've never seen Tyrod Taylor sort of play at a at a level that you would probably want to have your starting quarterback play at. If that makes sense. He did leave the Bills a couple years ago to the playoffs, but. Um, it, it was very concerned. It was Alex Smith sort of style quarterback play. Very conservative, it was more yeah. cautious, very conservative. He protected the football. He could run occasionally. Um, he didn't do anything special. So he's sort of like the good enough guy that you can say we have as a starter going in. So I'm not buying on like, well, he's good enough to be a starter, but not really good enough to, for our team to do much. They did make the playoffs that you know, that year, again, a couple of years ago. But I think they were 9-7 and seven going in. You'd know that more than I would. Um, and it was more because of their defense and sort of grinded out, grinded out mentality, and it wasn't because of their quarterback. Yeah, that's and right. So and I'm selling on Tyrod Taylor. You know the, uh, the rule we have for journeyman quarterbacks and how they will perform for you even when they're playing well is that at their best, they're 500 quarterbacks. And Tyrod Taylor in his career... 23, 21, and 1. And with some of these Buffalo teams, he had great opportunities. I mean, because it's Buffalo, you naturally think, you know, they weren't that good. But then you go back and look at the 2015 Buffalo team, his first full year as a starter, and he has LaShawn McCoy still at his peak. He has Sammy Watkins, Charles Clay, Robert Woods, and Chris Hogan are his receivers, and five games of Percy Harvin, who actually played really well in those five games. I mean, that is a really good supporting cast, and their offensive line was solid that year, too. And still, Taylor came out short in a lot of games because, like you said, he was really conservative and has great athleticism, but doesn't even fully use it to be that dynamic type of unstoppable force because he's going to take off and run all the time. He's sort of even timid with that, and then he gets hurt a lot, too. It is tough to see, and when he last played in Cleveland, he looked especially slow to get rid of the football, which was a big issue with him in in Buffalo, and kind of the reason that he's been compared to Jalen Hurts is because Hurts is really slow to get rid of the ball, Um, though I think Hurts is a better runner than Tyrod Taylor. So I look at him the same way, as kind of a placeholder for whoever they decide to put in there. So does that mean, though, that we're looking at the Chargers as not a contender? Because if Taylor is their starting quarterback, they're not. I know I'm not, and and uh, I I don't see them as a team. I mean, but his style I would think is going to keep them a lot of ball games. Uh, I I think it will. It's not like Fitz Magic. I mean, in some ways they're they're like the same. Like Fitz Magic and Tyrod is like, well, he's not exactly the guy that's going to probably you know get you to the third round of the playoffs or mm-hmm. or whatever, but. He'll win you some games and he'll lose you some games. And his style is different because Fitzmagic is like the four touchdowns to the next game it's three interceptions or whatever. Tyrods is sort of more consistent, but what usually without the four touchdown passes. And he plays a little bit tighter to, to the belt. But either way, I think we'll end up, you know, that stop. Playing conservative will win you football games. It keeps you in games. It, uh, you know, the, the dam doesn't ever break. And so you always have a chance. And then sometimes your, your defense wins you some or your running game or this, that, and the other. Uh, if he wasn't just the right o- offense, though, let's just say San Francisco, I think he could play 
in San Francisco's offense, or even what what Kirk did last year. You know, the yeah. run, the play action. Those are quarterbacks' best friends. The running game and the play action, bootleg stuff. And I think he could manage uh, uh, very well in, in that style of offense more than any other offense. And the reason that I don't think it's circumstance with him. Uh, even including the offense, which I agree. I mean, if he has Kirk's offense and he just has to make the throws downfield accurately, he can do that. But in 2015, Greg Roman is his offensive coordinator, the same guy that just went 14 and two with Lamar Jackson, and he still was. He was actually eight and six. Funny story. It lists him as seven and six on his Football Reference, but on the first play of the first game of 2015, Matt Castle took the first snap, and Tyrod was lined up at wide receiver for whatever reason. Ty- oh, that's right. Tyrod goes on, plays, wins the rest of the game, but forever will have one fewer win on football reference and is listed as a QB slash receiver because of that one play. So, anyway. Uh, you, actually, they kind of jip you a win, too. You should be 7-6 and six and not 6-6 six and six because you had the comeback against Buffalo, which I sent you the highlights from. Yes, Gus Farratt got that win, and dang it. That's the way it goes <laughs> when you're back Gus. about times. There's, but there's also, um, well, there, there's probably some losses that I probably hung on somebody else, but I feel like um, you know, when you're a backup, you, you don't get that win-loss thing because a lot of times you get thrown in the second quarter or the or the second half, and so it's uh, the stats can be a little bit skewed as far as win losses. But you know, statistically, by with Tyrod Taylor, you know he's got around a ninety quarterback rating, so he's never been. I mean, it, that's higher than Eli Manning's, by the way. I don't think his quarterback rating career is over ninety, and that's where Tyrod's is. But he just hasn't hasn't done that sort of electric thing to you know. I think he's going to you know lead a team to to ten or eleven wins. Yeah, what that really tells you about quarterback rating is that it only tells you so much um, because if you complete a fairly high percentage or you don't throw interceptions, that's the thing with Tyrod is he doesn't throw interceptions. Eli would throw interceptions by taking risks, but a lot of times those risks would get him ahead when he was in the best years of his career. Later on, those risks uh, didn't tend to succeed as often as they did early in his career, but it really shows you that when you look at quarterback rating, there's no context whatsoever to how you got to that point, and it doesn't tell you the true story. Uh, even Tom Brady's last year doesn't have a very good quarterback rating at all, but PFF has him as the 10th best quarterback because they're only judging how he threw the ball. And how he threw the ball was still pretty darn good, and yet it wasn't caught a lot of the time. Or guys weren't open because they couldn't separate. So it's always uh, tricky to evaluate quarterback statistics. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, and, and there's, there's re- I believe he was a fifth-round draft pick. So there's some reasons for that. It's, it's because he doesn't have like uh, you know, mind-boggling talent. He doesn't have a huge right. arm. Uh, he doesn't have great athleticism. He actually gets sacked a lot in the seasons that he started 14, 15, a ton, 16 games. A ton. Dri- he he's a complete sacked, drive killer because of that. Yeah, yeah, 40, 45 times. And so he does take his fair share of sacks. He doesn't have a huge arm. Uh, when I think of Tyrod Taylor, what, I hope he has success. I hope he's a starter. I hope he's one of those guys that late in his career found success, and it, it'd be a great story. Uh, but my guess is he's going to be one of those guys who will look back and say, you know what, good for Tyrod Taylor. Played 14 years in the NFL, and looks like here he made $80 million or $60 million <laughs> yeah, or whatever yeah. it might be. And what you know, and, and now he's got a, a place in Del Mar, California, or something like that, and, and he's hanging out playing golf. I mean, that's uh, you know how I'll probably see Tyrod Taylor uh, in you know five to ten years. All right, let's go on to a guy who's made a lot more money than that, Matt Stafford, who has been a franchise quarterback for his entire career in Detroit. And last year was nothing short of excellent to get his team to three, four, and one. 
Uh, 19 touchdowns, five picks, 106 quarterback rating. He was playing some of the best football of his career in the Daryl Bevel system. 8.6 yards per attempt for him in those games. And he lit up the Vikings defense when the Vikings went to Detroit. He gets hurt. Their entire season falls apart. It kind of has a little bit of that feel of what happened with Jimmy Garofalo and the 49ers. But the Lions are still the Lions. Matt Patricia is still their coach. But do we think that Matthew Stafford can continue on that path? Because if he does, I think on the whole, even though they traded away Darius Slay, on the whole, they have improved their defense from last year. If they even put a reasonable defense on the field, they could be fairly competitive. I'm still very hesitant to say that because you know how I feel about Matt Patricia. But uh, are you buying Matt Stafford's stock? I do buy Matt Stafford stock, and I've always thought of him as a really good quarterback. And because I've seen the throws that he has made, and I've seen the comebacks that he has had, and, and he is one of those guys that does scare you because he can catch fire. He can bring his team back from ten down the fourth quarter. The, the, in my opinion, the biggest issue with Stafford is that he's just in the wrong organization. You know, there's some organizations that are just it's hard to win. Yep. And it seems like to me the Detroit Lions because they've been bad pretty much my entire life i feel like you know they had the the <laughs> that, barry sanders years, they weren't always you know great back then it was but they just have never had a sort of a consistent winning team but i imagine matt, what if matt stafford had a top five defense and a top five running game i mean we just that never happens it doesn't seem like, seem like the defense is always bad there seems like they never really have a great running game there and they rely on him to do a lot and and we've seen of course he's he's part of the reason they get behind by yep a touchdown or 14 points for sure in the first three quarters. But I've seen a lot of games that Matt Stafford has come back and won and carried his football team and made great plays. I've seen a lot of those in my countless of those in my career. Um, and I buy quarterbacks that can that can uh, bring a team to do that. I think he's a more fun version of Kirk Cousins where he doesn't overcome anything uh, in terms of what the final record is. So the team will be pretty talented and he'll go nine and seven. The team will be bad and he'll go six and 10 and one year in his career, he has 11 wins and no playoff wins over a sample that big. Even if it's Detroit, we have to say like at this point, a quarterback should have dragged you to a playoff win. Question: Tony Romo, Matt Stafford. Who would would you like more? I think I'd take Tony Romo. Yeah. But, but similar. Same ballpark. Yeah, yeah, I could see like, that. I could see that. You know, I, I mean, Romo, sort of a little bit of a playmaker. Sometimes careless with the football. Yeah, you know, I, I could know, see uh, that. Stafford does not have a, like a super high completion percentage every year. He he likes to be aggressive. You know, he came with the league with Scott Linehan, who was the Vikings coordinator during some of those Randy Moss years of Dante and throw it deep and push the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Linehan liked to do that with him. They had Megatron, so he's always had that. You know, he was ingrained to have a more of an aggressive mentality and so and, and i think romo you know he, he actually you know grew up watching Favre and stuff so making plays and pushing the ball on the field romo liked to do that too so the two sometimes a little bit remind me of each other yeah i could see that in a lot of romo's years though he had uh one thirteen win season one twelve win season pretty impressive but a lot Different of franchise right yes way, for sure know, i mean dallas is all over the place but they a lot of times do have some tremendous football players but he had romo he had years where they had a good defense, so they had more of a running game and, and, and a lot of weapons at wide receiver. It just always seems like it's been a rotating thing in Den- or in, uh, in, in Detroit for, for, for decades. I think I would take Romo because I think he's more accurate than Matt Stafford. Stafford has, 
like bouts of accuracy. For four games, he'll be unbelievable. And then he'll have four games where he really struggles. And that's where the Kirk Cousins element kind of comes into it is I see him as a roller coaster type quarterback where every time you get convinced that he's having an amazing year, then he'll disappoint you at some point. And I don't know if I would buy stock other than just to say that I think that they can do better as a team than they did last year and be a much more contending team, if that makes sense. He'll be 32 this fall, uh, Matthew Stafford. So I got to think he's got a lot of years left in the league. You know, guys playing now, a couple guys right into their 40s here. And, uh, you know, Rivers might get close to 40 by the time he shuts it down. So you might think that Stafford has anywhere from five, six, up to maybe eight, nine more years left playing in this game. I think he's got some good years left in him. I wish there's a situation where he got to leave Detroit. Yeah, I'd love to, to see, see it somewhere different. Yeah, and like New England, you know what I mean? Like that would be cool actually to get him out of there and go into a team that is, you know, uh, has won a lot of football games and they do all. They seem to more often than not do the right things, unlike the Detroit Lions, which seem <laughs> to do consistently the wrong things. And and we look at the quarterback as sort of the result a lot of times of the decisions that are made in the rest of the organization. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. And that marriage between Stafford and Detroit does seem like it's got the possibility of breaking up after this year. And the door is still open, though no one has mocked Tua to the Detroit Lions. I still leave the door open for that potential. And I even think for Detroit it might be a good idea. To, to draft to have him sit for a year behind Stafford because of how much they pay Stafford. And maybe if you are another team that's rebuilding or getting to the point where you think you just need a quarterback to get you over the edge, that you could have a Kirk Cousins type of situation. Um, so, so I just figured it out. Here's what's going to happen is Detroit is going to draft uh, uh, Tua. Uh, Washington's going to take Young. And they're going to trade then Stafford to the Chargers. <laughs> To tie in our first two quarterbacks, second round pick or something like that, and uh, and off we go. They really, they really, that's the splash trade. They can't trade Stafford yet, but they can trade him next year. I mean, they're going to take a thirty-two million dollar cap hit if they trade him now. But next year, I don't don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? It's always bothered me. I feel like a so and so player is on our team, quarterback, let's just say, and he's supposed to make twenty-five million dollars. Yeah. But, of course, there's signing bonus money, so there's the the, the caps. But that the team that trades for him should have to trade for the entire cap hit. That would make trades happen more. I think it would be more fun. And, you know, then basically you get traded, you are completely off the books of the previous team. Yes, you may have gave them the signing bonus money, but you don't have to carry the the salary cap hit. The trading team should have to take that that entire salary cap hit, not just the salary. They're actually getting a good deal. They have to pay a lesser salary mm-hmm. or a lesser amount of money. They just have to take the larger salary cap hit. I think it's a it's a that that would to me make trades uh, happen more often. Yeah, the uh, NHL they just have whatever money you're making. I think is just like the average value is your cap hit. So it's a lot simpler. But like you said, I mean, they're able to spread these things out. And what the Vikings have done to get themselves in this position is they give the player a lot of the money, a lot of the cash comes up front, and they spread it out. So it's a low cap hit at first, and then the cap hits get bigger and bigger. But eventually the bill comes and you have no cornerbacks. Um, so, yeah. you know, that kind of happens. Um, let's, for time's sake, stick with just the NFC quarterbacks. I mean, Sam Darnold, Gardner Minshew, Baker Mayfield. Sam Darnold, I'm, I'm selling. I, I've just not been impressed. Me Doesn't either. help with that organization. Daniel Jones, I'm 
spine. Okay. Uh, and I'm I'm like sort of a Giants organization person, but man, they have really uh, uh, sort of uh, spiraled down a lot in the last few years, hiring various coaches and not having success and not putting doing you know making a lot of bad decisions not drafting well so that's but i do like daniel jones garden Minshew, i like i don't know i don't know if he's a franchise guy but I, i'd love to have him on my football i think he's team. a journeyman i think he's got um, ryan fitzpatrick written all over him i think that's great that's why i'm buying so i'm buying fitzpatrick <laughs> i'm buying that early baker mayfield i'm definitely buying i think he's very talented uh and and i think that uh i think stefanski should that system should make him into a better quarterback yeah. Uh, different, very different than the, the previous system. And Jared Goff, the other NFC quarterback, you want to talk about? Yeah, um, that's a tough one. There's sometimes I'm definitely buying on him. I know this. Uh, his head coach Sean McVay, speaking to him last year at my collective camp in LA, really is is thinks he's a tremendous player. Hmm. He's the guy who's around him, of course, every day in practice. He loves the way he spins it. He loves the way he throws. Um, so, you know, he's, that's, of course, he's just has coaching. He's going to be, he's going to be sort of the salesman of that. But by the way he said in his tone, I thought, man, he, he must, golf must be pretty good in practice. One thing about his throwing motion that does bother me is that he, in his windup, he sort of has a longer throwing motion. Mm-hmm. So that arm, that, the ball drops down and gets sort of far back. So those ends up, the, the up the field defensive ends, you know, the Dwight Freeze of the world who are coming around that corner, he seems to get strip sacked a lot. Uh, when he's throwing the football or when he's in the pocket, gets the ball knocked out or, or whatever it might be. And, um, uh, excuse me, and... Uh, uh, <laughs> you got to take um, that? No, it's my, it's my sister. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, I, I think that that's my concern with golf. I wish he'd change his motion a little bit. You see guys like Drew Brees who have tightened up their motion. I think mm-hmm. Brady had a really tight motion. I think that you know you might lose a little bit of arm strength but it could be something that would make his game a heck of a lot better. That's one of my concerns with him is he does seem to get the ball batted out sometimes and, and uh, uh, you know probably sometimes a little bit too careless with the football and, again, has that longer throwing motion. So here's what I was trying to figure out with Jared Goff. So I'm, I wanted to tie this all into the power rankings by ESPN. So we're looking at you know the Vikings and where they stay in this offseason, and a lot of people are reasonably freaking out about them not having any players. So we'll see where that goes. But at the moment, uh, they don't have anyone filling the spots that they have opened up outside of Tajay Sharp. Uh, so they have ESPN still has the Vikings eighth on their power rankings, and the Rams are seventeenth. And the Detroit Lions, I have to search to find where the Detroit Lions are. So you know, I guess I was thinking about both of those teams as being really interesting because I don't know what I'm supposed. They have the Lions is twenty ninth, and the Giants is twenty eighth. I could see the Giants still being bad. The Lions, I feel like, should be better. But even the Rams being seventeenth, I'm trying to decide, Sage, whether I should think that Jared Goff actually did a decent job on a team that suffered all sorts of injuries and had defensive problems and their running back averaged less than four yards a carry and was pretty much disastrous. And Brandon Cooks had a way, way down year from what he had been in the past, and they still go 9-7. and They missed the playoffs because that's how things worked out. Or if I should look at it as a sign that Jared Goff never was as good as we thought he was. Well, I'll tell you this: they they went they won a lot of games, and and the Super Bowl year it was a high scoring offense. So it wasn't their defense that carried them. And they did have a, the good running game with Gurley, but it was the offense and whole, both running and passing the football. And they did throw the ball a lot with the, you know the, the sort of the trifecta wide receiver 
with the three receivers they have that were all burners and, and guys that really fly and they love the play action. They were pushing the ball down the field more than almost anybody else in the play action game. They were winning because of his offense and they were winning because of their quarterback was playing extremely well and within the right system and, and those types of things. The running game goes the way, but they were never uh, they, last year and, and he wasn't as good, but you know, they're never great because all oh, their defense was just absolutely Aaron Donald is a heck of a football player in that year with him and Sue, but they weren't just dominating people, and, and that was so mm-hmm. you know sort of so surprising. The Super Bowl was you know sort of like you know the fact that you know t- uh, Belichick, one of his great probably coaching jobs, is getting to stop that that uh, Los Angeles Rams offense in the Super Bowl. And I was just pulling this up. His offensive line, in terms of pass block, ranked worse than the Vikings last year, twenty ninth. And and after a couple of years of having really good offensive lines, they completely fell apart around Jared Goff. And they are a team that, much like the Vikings, doesn't have a lot of cap space and hasn't made any moves this offseason where you go, oh, wow, Rams are back next season because draft, they did this. They don't have any draft picks. Right, right. They and don't, so they don't have first-round draft picks for it's a couple of years. It's hard to see them getting way better with Jared Goff, but it seems like... In, in Kirk Cousins-style fashion, when everything goes wrong, there's a floor that he gives you where you could still be a nine-win team. You can still be in that ballpark. And uh, his contract is problematic, like Kirk Cousins. He's, he's sort of the in-the-middle type of quarterback, I think. And I don't know whether to buy or sell stock on him because I, I think things have got to be better than last year. But also, if they trade Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley is gone, who knows who's going to fill in there? How can I see them being better than they were last season, especially well, with that division? I will say this about Jared Goff. I, I got to think half of the NFL teams, uh, two at least I would say two-thirds of the other of NFL teams, wish they had him as their quarterback. Yeah, I, I, that, think, that, I think you and I are on I the same page liking him more than some people. Ago. You know, I'd like to have him if I yeah. was you know, the Miami Dolphins or you know, shoot right now the the New England Patriots probably even, but I think a lot of teams would like to have him as a quarterback. He's a young guy. Uh, he has played pretty dang well, you know, and also came into a team that was just an offensive joke uh, under Jeff Fisher. Yeah. Uh, those those, Ram, that, those Rams teams were, I mean, were, were just an absolute joke. And so, you know, he really has raised this team to help raise this team to, a, to another level. You know, I, I look at it, is a quarterback good enough to win me a Super Bowl? And I think Jared Goff is because he was, he was right there just two years ago. Right, he was able to put them there. Got to have a good team around him, you know, just like a lot of quarterbacks. Got to have a really good team around him, but I do think he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. Right, and McVay got all of the credit for his two seasons, but they were really, really darn good. Uh, over two seasons, he went 24-7 and with 100.8 quarterback rating, 60 touchdowns, 19 picks. I mean, that's... That's not just showing up and throwing the ball around a little bit or having a good offensive coordinator. That's really excellent play. So I'm interested to see because it's going to be a lot on his shoulders if they're going to be competitive next year. Uh, Real quick before we hit the break, those power rankings, I I mean, I know. I know it's silly. but with those, They have the Vikings ranked eighth, eighth. and I think that's – so last year, I don't know where you you put the Vikings at the end of the season – when they lost uh, in the playoffs, and where'd you put them in the NFL? Maybe somewhere around eighth. Of yeah, course, they got yeah. the Saints to win. Yep. But I just haven't seen the team, you know go. Oh yeah, they're they're. How are they as good as last year? They don't have two corners right now. They're missing Everson. Um, you know, we trade away Diggs. How can you be better if you trade away, away their best yeah. 
offensive player base last year. You know, of course, there's Alvin Cook, but they haven't gone out and made any splashes yet. They haven't drafted anybody yet. I, I just don't see how this football team at this stage right now is better than it was last year. So I would put them somewhere around, you know, 12 to 14, like on maybe the edge of the playoffs, which is sort of where I expect them to be probably hovering around that 9-7, which is generally where Kirk Cousins has been most of his career. Okay, let's take a break, and I want to bring up a former teammate of yours and draw a comparison to what the Vikings might have to do next year under Gary Kubiak. That's when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily. Wade Phillips coming up at 3 here on the show on Score North. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local Federated Marketing Representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Hold your wedding for 125 people in the Grand Atrium at the Doubletree in downtown St. Paul for as little as $4,500. This $1,500 package includes full room setup and teardown for ceremony, dinner, and dance along with an on-site catering team to service the meal and assist the wedding party all day. For complete details and to place your bid on this once-in-a-lifetime discount, visit scorenorth.com, keyword wedding. Also over at scorenorth.com right now, Matthew Collar has a list of veteran pass rushers the Vikings could target in free agency to replace Everson Griffin. Also, Judd Zolgad has a series on five trades the Vikings felt forced into making. The first one on that list was Randy Moss, followed up by former Viking or Viking legend Fran Tarkenton. Those are for free over at scorenorth.com right now. Also on the free Score North mobile app. Cousins in a shotgun set. Cook to his right. Dig split right. Two receivers left. Cousins back. He lobs one left for Thielen. Who makes the catch for the touchdown? I totally forgot that Andre Johnson played for Tennessee. At that, the end. That, yeah, that goes under the category of I never would have guessed that one. I, I thought I remembered maybe a brief stint with Indianapolis, which he did have, and, and a decent season. I did not remember the age 35 Tennessee year. But I will tell you why I'm bringing up Andre Johnson. is because well, do you remember, was it Jerry Rice ended up? He was Broncos in Seattle. In Seattle, yeah. And uh, awesome. Andre Reid played for Washington, I think, yeah. as well. So uh, Thurman Thomas Carter, my, played Chris for Carter, Miami. Miami Dolphins. Chris Carter, Miami <laughs> Dolphins, right. with, uh, with me in 2002. Oh, how about that? I didn't know that you were there with him. Um, I got to go to a Thursday night football game with Chris Carter to watch the Miami Hurricanes, uh, led by Ken Dorsey, <laughs> for, uh, Ken Dorsey. Willis McGahee, Andre Johnson, oh, yeah. Vince wow. Wilfolk, uh, maybe not Vince, uh, like John Beeson, DJ Williams, Jonathan Vilma, Sh- I think Sean Taylor in the second. I mean, it was just so like, stacked. holy cow, so stacked, 2002. And we went because they were playing a Thursday night game against the University of Pittsburgh and one true freshman phenom receiver, Larry Fitzgerald. Wow. Okay. All right. There See, you go. It is amazing the uh, the number of connections the that could be made. The uh, what do they call it? Like the seven? What is it? The 
What is it called? Like the where, where you can connect this to that. To oh, the that, Kevin the, Bacon. The Kevin yeah, Bacon the Kevin thing. Bacon thing. What is it called? Yeah. Uh, seven degrees of separation. Seven degrees of separation. Yeah. The uh, seven degrees of sage separation would be Sometimes. a thing we might have to get into if there's no uh, sports anytime soon. Uh, but the reason I wanted to bring up Andre Johnson is because I pulled up some numbers just looking at how heavy Kubiak offenses often lean on their number one wide receiver, which we saw the Vikings have to do with Stephon Diggs last year, and Diggs was very successful in doing so. And some of these numbers blew my mind for how much uh, Texan quarterbacks, yourself included, threw to Andre Johnson. Target numbers are just preposterous. 163 one-year back-to-back seasons of 171, and in 2013, 181 targets went in yeah. Andre Johnson's direction. It's, I mean, ridiculous. But here's the point. is I, I looked up one of his top seasons, and the second-best receiver only had something like 80 targets. I think it was the great Ken Walter. And, and Kevin I, Walter. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Walter. Whatever. Yes. Not it's Walters. Kevin, Ken, Walter. Kevin Walter. Sorry, I thought it was Ken. It doesn't matter. Um, sorry, it Kevin Walter. <clears throat> only to his family. Um uh, so I was thinking about how uh, this offense operates. It does operate with a tight end that gets a lot of uh, targets. Owen Daniels. I would never Owen mess up his name. because yeah, Owen he, Daniels, Joel Jerison, for the most part, were the two tight ends in that offense. No one loves Owen Daniels more than Gary Kubiak in this entire world. He took him to Baltimore with him and, and everything. So Denver also. Anyway, um, the point is the Vikings have two very good uh, tight ends. And they only have one good wide receiver now in Adam Thielen. And in the past, when we've seen Adam Thielen need to carry the load with Stephon Diggs out, that has not worked out particularly well. But in this offense, I want your opinion. I mean, will it still work without Stephon Diggs? I'm not saying that they're better without Stephon Diggs. But considering that one guy dominated the targets by this much in Kubiak's entire time in Houston... That might have to be the case here with Thielen this year. Well, it's going to be different, I think. What's different and from the last few years, I think they're going to try to throw to the tight end more, i got to think. with uh, You have to have that one of the two tight ends be basically a wide receiver, in a sense, and be a legitimate threat. So they're going to have to have others to have sort of a balance to it if you don't have that sort of premier second wide receiver. And no, at that, that time in Houston... Uh, and I love K-Dubs, Kevin Walter, but he wasn't a, you know, a, a second receiver that scared the heck out of football teams. He did things, he did everything exactly right. He was super consistent. He blocked like crazy. He did catch the balls that were going his way, but he wasn't a guy we were trying to throw 50-50 balls down the field on one-on-one. Andre was the dominant mm-hmm. wide receiver, but he was so good, um, and I think he's a Hall of Fame player. Uh, he's hands down the best player well, I should say, you know, probably him and J.J. Watt in, in Texans history, but he was just dominant. He was physically imposing. He could really run. Uh, he was good at the line for slants and, and sort of the big you know, receiver type of throws. And so Gary Kubiak's one of those guys who goes, you know, who are the best players on our team? Well, I'm going to get them the ball the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he finds ways to do that and by formations and and but to try to in whatever concept you might run you know you can run these various path plays and concepts but put different people in different places well 
if you make Andre Johnson more often than not the number one guy or the number one, number two guy, he ends up getting a lot of balls that you know that that comes uh, that, that came his way or whatever. So you know, Thielen's had years though where he had 150. Two years ago, he had 153 balls thrown his way. So he has uh, been in situations where he. Uh, had a lot of targets and things like that. But, you know, Gary d- does a phenomenal job of, even though the other team knows we're trying to get the ball to Andre Johnson, Gary did a great job in those years in Houston, and some with Kyle Shanahan and some years without Kyle Shanahan, but of finding ways to get Andre the ball despite the fact the defense knew we were trying to get him the football. Side note, Andre Johnson has more receiving yards than Chris Carter in his career. That's crazy. 11th all go. time. And, and and you know, had a little bit of un. Uh, or I should say bad luck of uh, you know coming into a brand new franchise mm-hmm. in their second year of existence and David Carr was his quarterback and and uh, you know the offense was terrible his first couple of years I mean it was that offense the, when we first showed up there they were 31st or 32nd in the league in like every single category defense wasn't very good either and so uh, and, you know, and he never played with great I mean I wasn't a great quarterback and I think, I think Matt Shaw was a great quarterback but still put up just you know, Hall of Fame type numbers without being on great offenses, and Chris Carter was on better football teams and 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 you know made better all around offenses. Uh, but you know, Andre, he he, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's he wasn't in the the right franchise. Yeah, I mean his numbers. It's just it's hard for a wide receiver when great receivers like Andre Reed have to wait. Uh, that really tells you kind of how stacked up we are with receivers. Steve Smith is eighth all-time in receiving yards, and he might never get in, or it might take a really long time. And I think he was a Hall of Fame player, too. Um, but back to the, the Vikings' point about this, I don't think that Adam Thielen is Andre Johnson. I think Andre Johnson is a much better receiver than Adam Thielen. Uh, like you said, one of the all-time greats. But, you know, Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than a lot of the quarterbacks Andre Johnson played with. I I guess I I wonder, more pressure on Adam Thielen to carry the passing game or to Irv Smith to take a huge step forward? Thielen has to be big this year. Uh, When you get rid of uh, a number 1 wide receiver and and probably a better wide receiver, Diggs at this point, um, you have to step up, and so he has to have a big year. If mm-hmm. the, you know, if he doesn't have over eighty catches, um, I don't know how much how good the Vikings are going to be this year. He has to put up really big numbers. He has to have a sort of a career type of year, and also on top of it, I do think he, he's not going to be an Andre Johnson. He's not going to completely carry the load. So the Vikings need to get other weapons, and one of those is Irv Smith. Uh, you know, Rui's going to have to have uh, some different things maybe that he can do. Um, but then, of course, you know, the young guy is coming up, the guy they just, uh, Tajay, is that how you say his name? Tajay, Tajay Sharp, yep. Sharp, uh, you know, wh- wh- where is he at? And then, you know, what do they do in this draft? If and when this draft occurs, do they get a, a sort of a number one guy on the other side, even though he's young? But maybe you know, earlier in the season, he could you know crack the starting lineup and and be a, a big threat, a guy that can run, you know, a, a four three five guy or something like that to open things up for Adam Thielen underneath because he just does not have that extreme speed down the field, mm-hmm. uh, even as much as Stephon Diggs had. Yeah, and I wonder if just because of the injuries. I mean, there's reason to be down on Thielen. I don't think that there necessarily is. When you look at his age, 
Usually receivers are good until their mid-30s. Even Andre Johnson was good until probably age 33 when he started to fade a little bit, and he had played much more and for much longer than someone like Adam Thielen. So I I would have a higher expectation, but it also means he's going to have to take on a little bit different of a role than he's had over the last couple of years. He played a lot in the slot over the last three seasons, and now he's going to have to be outside all the time. And it's a really interesting role for outside wide receivers in Kubiak's offense. I mean, you've break, broken down some of the plays on our YouTube, and we've talked about them at times. But deep crossers and things like that, like getting deep separation and then making plays on the ball, he's really great at that. When when the ball is in the air, he can make the play. Um, but then, you know, the, the underneath stuff, and, and I don't know. I th- it's a lot to handle for at, any wide receiver. At, yeah, I, I think... Kubiak does a really good job of taking uh, an outside receiver, you, you think of as an outside receiver, and then finding ways to get him on the inside. So he does get those matchups, and mm-hmm. Adam does have a great feel for the game, feel for man, feel for yeah. zone. Yep. He's got he does a nice job of separating from from people. He just sort of has that without being some you know insane athlete ability to separate for the underneath stuff. I in a lot of ways he's a great possession receiver. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, you know, in some ways he is sort of like Chris Carter. He's not a burner down the field. He needs that other as, as, aspect of his game uh, of the team so he can really flourish. Uh, he's great. He's got great feel, of course, great with catching the football. And those types of things, but uh, he's got a savviness to him, and I think Gary will use that. As you know, you smart player like that, you can. You know, there's times where Gary would line Andre Johnson up in the backfield uh, as mm-hmm. like a tailback, and then motion him out into the slot so you could help identify that for him and for the quarterback of who was going to have him, and or even uh, uh, line him up as almost a backside tight end uh, in a three wide receiver set in a three point stance, and, and make him you know sort of hide him in there, and before you motion him or do something, so. They have ways to try to uh, get a defense to sort of uh, to tell us what you're doing over there and then to, to move a premier player around to try to get him the ball uh, based off of what type of coverage they might be in. Uh, well, the most interesting thing about Thielen is that he's from Mankato. I don't know if you've heard this at all. That uh, Yeah, small school guy who's turned – sorry. It's just every, every – uh, Broadcast ever that mm. covers the Minnesota Vikings is you know Detroit Lakes Minnesota Mankato yeah. kid. Just, I always anyway. I always love the um, every time there's like a smaller receiver it's always like he's a good route runner he's really reminds uh, me of Julian he's, Edelman he's a, a Wes Welker son, type coach's son hard worker <laughs> you know all those they they go through the cliches of like the white receiver good you know it's it's. Why wouldn't you be a good route runner? Well, being a good route runner is not. Of course, you're going to run the route the depth. It's it's the ability to separate. That's what a good a lot of times a good yeah. route runner is. Yep. And consistently run routes sort of the same every time. That's hard to do when you're running as fast as you can, and you roll out of it or you break it down for a curl route. That's hard to be consistently uh, a, a good at that. And then again, have great feel. And Adam has, you know, I I, I assume he's a good basketball player. I don't know much about. He's it. a great basketball his, player. I wrote a story. Yeah, about it so once. he plays football that way he's got great spatial awareness and recognition and that cannot be taught but it can be helped with the right coordinator yes uh also sneaky athletic comes up every time or sneaky you know athletic. he's just not a great athlete but he goes up and gets it um anyway it's, it's sort of funny but he does have great hand-eye coordination and that's where i think when when people if you want your kid to play football get them to play basketball 
basketball is a great sport. Whether they're you know they're big and they're going to be a lineman or or whatever, you know, the, the footwork, the the spatial awareness and recognition, the movement to stop and go and, and back and forth. It's a great sport. I think it's probably the best sport to become a good football player is to be a, a, a good basketball player first. It's also a little bit of a misnomer, I think, when we talk about athleticism just through the context of NFL combine scores, which Thielen didn't have. He had a pro day instead. But in my mind, athleticism is being able to contort your body, falling down and keep your eye on the ball and being able to make a catch. Like That is an extremely highly athletic move to be able to do that or to break down out of a route if you are... Not if you're stiff coming out of routes, you've seen guys like this. It's just it's funny to watch in comparison well, to great route runners. Yeah, so there's athleticism and then there's fine skill. Mm-hmm. What I would call a sort yeah. of fine skill. Like dribbling a basketball, dribbling a soccer ball, hitting a golf ball. That's about as fine a skill as you can think of. I mean it's uh or hitting a baseball, super you know one tenth of an inch matters, super fine. In that football is sort of a brute strength, you know, type of thing. The throwing, the catching, and those types of things, that is sort of the fine skill. And people don't realize how hard it is to run as fast as you can and be super efficient in and out of your breaks and things like that. And, and it does happen every, uh, for, for all these college football teams and stuff, you know, a lot of times guys that were maybe on the track team decide to go out for the football team. It doesn't work out very well because you just don't realize uh, how the, 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 these players have been working on the fine skill of route running. Mm-hmm. Uh, since they're in middle school and high school. All right, Sage, do you know the date the next time you and I talk on this show? Are you aware of the date? Uh, Wednesday. That is not the date. That is a day of the week, but you're close. Uh, it is the, the, the um, it's in April. What did you get on the Wednesday, Sage? So it would be the first. It would be April Fool's. It'd yes, April yes, Fools. yes. Now, the, yeah. the April Fool's part, leave that out because nothing's funny this year. But... It will be April. That means draft month. That means we, we're, we're getting close. We are closing in on the NFL draft. So before we close up March, you and I here on the show, I just want to go over a few of the things we're looking for during the months of April leading up, like the storylines as we lead up to the NFL draft. So, Jonathan, if you could give us some NFL music here for this to set the mood. Dan, I want to come up music. with, before we end here, Five biggest storylines of draft season. So let's just go back and forth. I will start. Who else will be on the football team is a is a huge, huge Vikings draft season story. Will there be other free agents that get signed here? Or are they going to go into it and just look for people to win jobs who are already on the roster and hope that that works out for them? That is I think the biggest story leading into draft season is what spots will they need to fill by the time we actually get there, or will it still be all of them? Yeah, I agree with you on that. And 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 my, I guess one of my stories I was thinking about was how many of these guys drafted are going to be starters. Yes, when it absolutely know, when football season starts. So are we talking about one, three, or four? How many spots will these drafted players, this might be the most important draft that the Vikings have had in a little while. At this point, it's almost everyone they draft (laughs) will need to fill a spot. I mean, it's really not an exaggeration because if... Or even the slot spot with Mackenzie Alexander leaving. Right. And I think you and I would talk about last year with Xavier Oja struggling. Can we we try some of these other guys a little bit? They sort of didn't do that. Will one of those guys uh, step up? 
uh, in those spots or an Everson spot at defensive end. Right, exactly. So uh, who has to fill in, how many rookies have to fill in, how many spots are filled by then, definitely among the biggest stories. Now, will we hear buzz of the Vikings as a team that will trade up and be aggressive or a team that will trade back and stack picks the trade-up argument is hard to make. I mean, it's a it's a good draft that has players that will be there toward the end of the first who have just as good of a chance to make it as guys who are outside of the top ten. But desperation mode, you need somebody to step in right away. Usually the 22nd pick isn't going to do that, but the top ten pick might. Statistically speaking, probably a better idea to trade back if they were to have two or three second-round picks in this draft. You can really start to stack up a lot of talent there, um, but will they show some desperation and try to move up, and what will the buzz be as we get closer and closer, I think is a huge draft month storyline. I like uh, using one of the first in the first round at either the position or position or even those three spots, I think. They need to draft. And then the other first round pick, I'm to going back like two seconds. Oh, no. Yeah, a couple, you know, and, and, and moving back a little bit because we do need a whole bunch of starters, not just one or two. Okay, so you broke up a little bit there and you sounded like a robot. So I only caught no. some of that. Um, well, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, no, you're good now. But for a second there, I, I thought that you had been attacked by aliens. Oh well, you know it's you never know. Um, I I think that one of the first the, the, those first those two first round draft picks, one of them they should use on who they think should definitely be a starter, the guy they like the most in that spot for a position of need, and then I'm I'm totally cool with that second uh, first round pick moving back into the second round and maybe get two or three draft picks to try to find some some value a little bit lower in the draft. Yeah, I think uh, offense or defense becomes a a fun storyline, too. Like, which way would you want to go, and which way will the Vikings want to go? Will will it be, hey, let's build up with a couple of uh, offensive linemen here for the future who or or somebody who could step in right away at left tackle, and you move Riley Reef, or you trade Riley Reef, or you cut Riley Reef, whatever you're going to do with him, or... Will we be talking about, yep, Mike Zimmer got all of his defensive backs that he ever dreamed of, right? And I think maybe they'll try to you know, straddle the fence with that, but I could see them after going heavy on defense one year, heavy on offense another year, trying to rebuild the defense through the draft. That's a big storyline for me is will they try to put everything around Kirk and invest a lot here and tell Zimmer, sorry, buddy, work with the patchwork defense. I'm not sure if they will. I mean, the Michael Pierce contract sort of insinuates that they want to invest a lot in rebuilding the defense, but why do you sign Kirk if you're not going to give him everything that you could possibly give him? Well, I just have never seen in the past where Kirk has won because of the, it's you know dominating offense, and it's not like Kansas City here. This is the opposite of Kansas City. I think Kirk has won because of defense and running game more than the high-powered offense. And so I think you have to invest in defense more than try to have these games where, you, you remember, was it two years ago down out in L.A., that super high-scoring Vikings game against the Rams? Yeah. yeah. And they lost that game. And, and Kirk was on fire, and the offense was on fire. I think they lose more of those football games if they don't have a good defense. No, I, I think that's a really good point. All right, give me one more before we wrap up. One more as we turn the calendar over to April by the next time we talk of things that will be the biggest discussions down the stretch of draft month. Um, will the season happen? I think <laughs> yeah. that's the no, biggest you're right. discussion. Yeah, that is. 
That's the, that's going to be the happen? biggest discussion for a really long time. Yeah, and well, a frustrating could, one. I have no answers. We don't have answers. Um, we don't have control. The, we, we could sit here and complain whether they should or should not have the draft or should the NFL just sort of go about their business because they sort of can. And... Um, um, but will the season actually happen? I, you know, every single day I start to go like, how would how would that look? How would that happen? Could they find a way to have? At that time, we have millions and millions and millions of tests, and it's not really an issue to get some. And the league can basically test guys before they go on the practice field or the game. Like, how are they going to do that if they're going to have a season? I just, we will see if we can get sixty-five thousand people into a football stadium. Uh, in what four and a half months or something like that? That's that's to me the the question of April. Well, I was gonna put it on a tee for you to say, will they draft a quarterback still? Because guess what? <laughs> Next month, Sage, you are not getting off the hook grinding tape. In fact, now you have to grind other tape of guys that people have known uh, that no one has heard of who might get drafted in the sixth round by the Vikings. Correct. I am I am gonna get back into a groove here. My kids are back in school, so time to find a little groove in my day, and I need to spend uh, some uh, some time going back to when we looked at. I was looking at quarterbacks before the combine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go back and analyze these guys, and probably less and less the first and second round guys, and maybe really dive into these guys that might be uh, third round selections or seven day selections or whatever that uh, you know fifth, sixth, seventh round of the draft might be. Right. Well, I know everything in the world is terrible and scary at the moment, but we will focus on the draft and we'll have a lot of fun as we count down until the Minnesota Vikings pick, potentially at 22nd and 25th on the first night or earlier or later, we don't know. So, Sage, when we speak again, it will be officially draft season, and I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and I just you know, we... we I was thinking about this this morning. We've all had a lot of things sort of taken away from us, a lot of our freedoms lately and a lot of things going on. Uh, it's made me, it's helped me realize what I do have. And one of the great things I feel like I do have is coming on the show, talking about the Vikings, talking about things uh, uh, you know that are a little bit outside of my life and escaping a little bit. And, and so I'm, I'm very thankful for that and, and trying to be appreciative of all the things that uh, we do have. And, and uh, fortunately, I have my health and my kids are healthy and, and we're doing our best to, to be in the, the probably the biggest American team game we've had since World War II. So we're all in this thing together. All right. Very well said, Sage. I will talk to you on Wednesday. Thanks for your time. Sounds good. All right. Let's take a break. When we return, Wade Phillips joins the show here on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay to stay at home. And we're here. We're we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. Rams protecting a 24-17 lead fourth quarter. Cardinals are across midfield. They're at the Rams 42. Empty shotgun look here for Murray. He has it. Retreats to throw. Launches down the middle. Fitzgerald. No. Taylor Rapp. Yes. Intercepted at the 15. To the left side of the field. Up to the 40. Rapp with a flag down late in the play. Has his second career interception. Both have come against Murray and the Cardinals. 
So why are we playing a Rams highlight? Because joining us now on the show is Wade Phillips. Wade, how are you? Well, I'm doing all right. Hope everybody's safe there. We're trying to stay safe here, of course. Well, we're doing our best to just give people some fun football talk to focus on, Wade, there because go. there's no other sports. Uh, I have to start right. because it is a is a thing I bring up on the show all the time that I grew up in Buffalo and I was in my teenage years of loving football while you were the defensive coordinator and head coach of the Bills. So I have to say two things to you. First, I still have my Flutie Flakes. And second, it was a forward pass. It was definitely a forward pass. <laughs> You know, uh, both those things I, ha- I I agree with. I have my flutie flakes still too, and <laughs> yeah, but that's the way it went. So, ah, well, you know, it is it is Buffalo. So I grew up getting used to those things. My first sports memory ever, which ages me exactly, is wide right. So it wasn't worse than that. Um, oh, but yeah. wait, yeah. You, you had some amazing years in Buffalo, though. And the Doug Flutie thing is one of the best sports memories I have of him running the ball in against Jacksonville and, uh, you know, the playoff game and, and just uh, against Miami. He throws a long ball to Eric Molds and then, you know, the whole quarterback controversy thing. It was fun times to be a Buffalo football fan then. Um, but the reason that you're on is because you have written a book. And uh, the book is called Son of Bum, uh, Lessons My Dad Taught Me About Football and Life. And you wrote it with my friend Vic Carucci, which is awesome because he's one of the best people and, and best football writers in the industry. And, and I want to know, Wade, what inspired you to decide to write a book about your relationship with your dad, Bum Phillips? Uh, well, after we won the Super Bowl in Denver, um, you know, they they were saying, well, man, Wade's a great coach and this and that, you know, that kind of thing. And I thought, well, you know, the greatest case coach I know is my dad. And, and most of what I've, I've done is because of him or through him. So uh, I wanted everybody to know him. I wanted to honor him, basically, to, to write a book. And so we, Vic and I got together. Well, one of the coolest things in, in your career, I would imagine, is being able to work on the same staff, um, you know, in, in New Orleans for a number of years with, with your dad. Can you talk about some of the lessons that you took away from him as a coach that you applied in your very long and very successful coaching career? Yeah, um, you know, I've started with him. Actually, I was 27 years old when I started in the league with him with the Houston Oilers. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got five years there with him, and then we went to New Orleans and uh, we're five more years there. So, uh, you know, uh, it couldn't be better than that, <laughs> you know, to, to work with your dad. Uh, you know, he coached me in high school. He coached me in college. Uh, you know, he's, uh, I worked for him for 10 years. He's my hero. So, uh, you know, all that put together was really fun to be with. And I, I just want people to know about him. Uh, some people have heard about him. Some people, you know, see some of the sayings he, he said, that uh, still kind of live on. And uh, so that's, that's really why I wanted to do the book. Yeah, and, and he's famous for those uh, sayings that he had. And, of course, you've had a few notable um, quotes yourself. But what I think of with you, Wade, is these great players that you coached along the way. I mean, Reggie White, Bruce Smith is one of my all-time favorites. You got 17 sacks out of Bryce Pop one year. Uh, Vaughn yeah. Miller, I mean, all, all the all these, these great legends. And it seems like you always found a way to put them in a position to succeed. Did that come from your dad, that ability to sort of take someone's skill set and uh, design your scheme to fit perfectly for them? 
yeah, that's that's really what he he believed in, and uh, and what I and I try to carry out is hey, if you got a great player, then you got to utilize him, you know, and and do the things that he does best, not what what your scheme says. So uh, so we've adjusted to the players we've had, and certainly when you get a great pass rusher. Well, you know, when I was when I was with the Rams, when I went to the Rams, you know, they said, well, you got Aaron Donald, and, you know, what are you going to do with him? Because he's been playing a, a 4-3, and now you're going to put him in a 3-4. Well, he was defensive player of the year two years in a row, and he had 20 sacks, <laughs> set the all-time record for most sacks of any. So you got to let them play their game, you know. you got to find a way in your scheme uh, to not over-scheme, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, did you, did you develop that along the way? Like, was there – was there a point where you sort of had a player? Maybe, you know, I know you had Ricky Jackson when you were in uh, New Orleans, and he's a heck of a pass rusher, right. and, and and where it sort of started to click for you because it's it's a, an incredible amount of experience. By the time you get to the, the Broncos and you win the Super Bowl or you're in the, the Super Bowl with the Rams, you've worked with so many great players. But I wonder uh, when it was that you really started to hone that craft. Uh, I would imagine it was working with your dad. It was, and, uh, you know, I was coaching the defensive line uh, one year there, and I had Curly Cup, who was in the Hall of Fame, and nose guard, and Elvin Bethay, who was in the Hall of Fame. And, and then the next year I coached uh, the linebackers, and Robert Brazil just went in the Hall of Fame. So I was coaching those guys, and everything I'd tell them to do, they could do. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I was a heck of a coach. You know? <laughs> and then and when we went to New Orleans, and they had only won one game, and, didn't have many players. I realized there was a difference, and you had to, you know, you had to utilize whatever your guys could do, and not all of them could do what those three Hall of Famers could do. One thing that, and just as I was going back through your history and and your dad's history, one thing I forgot was how many coaches were also the general manager back then. Uh, you know, in the in the seventies, your dad's the GM of the Oilers, and then and then with the Saints as well. Um, I I wonder what uh, what what that was like to be. I mean, I think Belichick still does it, right? Is he the only coach left in the league that's still doing both? Um, but I wonder what that was like for him to have to both evaluate the players and then coach them and, and make tough decisions with who's getting old and who you love as a coach. I, I, I can imagine that created kind of a lot of tension at times. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he was the general manager and the head coach. Um, Bill O'Brien is now, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, now he always had he always had somebody that did the contracts, you know, because mm-hmm. he didn't want to get into a situation where, you know, you weren't giving the player the money he wanted, and then they gets mad at the coach instead of the coach and general manager. So uh, I thought he did a good job with that, but he he had a good feel for personnel. So um, you know, we traded for Earl Campbell, which you know really turned everything around with the Oilers. Um, so uh, and he let everybody he let everybody. All the coaches and all the scouts uh, evaluated uh, all the positions. In other words, I didn't just evaluate defense. I evaluated play- players on offense. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty interesting the way, the way he did it. We, we got a good feel for players that way, or at least he did. So there's another couple of things I wanted to ask you about, but I wonder if you have – 
like a top three or a top two favorite Bum Phillips quotes? Because if you go to his Wikipedia page, you can find a whole a whole yeah. list of of classics. Yeah. And uh, you know, I guess I, I'm jealous of the old football reporters like Vic, Vic Carucci who've covered the yeah. NFL back in the day with the personalities. Uh, but I wonder if uh, you have a couple of favorites. Yeah, I do, and of course they're in the book. But uh, <clears throat> my favorite, all-time favorite, is you know one year we are. Our strength and conditioning guys uh, that give the test for the players before the season started usually do. They usually do so many forty-yard dashes and see, you know, see what kind of shape they're in. Well, one year they decided that they were going to have the players run the mile to see if they <laughs> see what kind of shape they're in. Well, Earl Campbell, you know, he had thirty-four inch thighs, so he really wasn't a miler, and so he makes about half a mile. And he starts cramping up, and he, you know, walks off the track, and of course. The media is just like they are now. They all run up to Bum and say, "Bum, what are you going to do?" Earl Campbell didn't make the make the mile. He said, "Well, hell, if it's third and a mile, we won't give it to him." (laughs) (laughs) He said, and then he said, "But we'll give it to him the rest of the time," which we did. Yes, yeah, yo, you certainly did. And uh, I was just watching the other day some Earl Campbell highlights showed up on Twitter because it was his birthday. And uh, oh yeah, birthday, yeah, you bet. Would not have wanted to try and tackle Earl Campbell. Um, The book again is is. Son of Bum, Lessons My Dad Taught Me About Football and Life. Um, Wait, I wanted to ask you about working with Gary Kubiak. He's the offensive coordinator here. You worked with him in Houston. I believe he was your backup quarterback in Denver as well. So you've known Gary for for a really long time. Um, Tell me something about Gary Kubiak that I I wouldn't know, uh, about his personality, him as a coach, him as a teacher, because uh, uh, he's had a really positive impact on the Vikings here. Well, he won a Super Bowl at Denver. So oh, of course, yeah, of course. That's right. <laughs> you know, obviously. You know, yes. I mean, he's he's a, he's a great coach, great person. I think I think anybody's around him probably knows him uh, because, uh, but he's 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 a real good leader too. You know, and I, uh, you know, when he played, he was a backup quarterback, but he but he was the leader. You could tell he's, he had a lot of leadership qualities, and then when he got into coaching, he. It really excelled at that, and I was I was lucky to coach for him uh, with with Denver and Houston. So, and at Houston, you know, he won he won the division for the first time that franchise ever won the division and won a playoff game two years in a row. He did that, and then of course he won the Super Bowl Denver. So, uh, I just can't say enough good things. He he knows offense. Uh, he 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 will run the ball, which you know. Some of those quarterback or offensive gurus uh, are are pass only guys, mm-hmm. but he'll run the football, and uh, uh, you know he's been a good influence on them already. I know that, and he'll do. He he does a great job. He was he, even before he got to be head coach at Denver, he did a great job at Baltimore as the offensive coordinator. So you got a great one there. Yeah, that's right. Joe Flacco had one of his best seasons when he was playing for Gary. Um, before I let you yep. go, Wade, because I know you got a lot of interviews to do, uh, what, what's the plan? What's the Wade Phillips plan? Are you just going to be tweeting these days? Which, by the way, thank you for unblocking me. There was clearly a mistake there, and I was blocked. There Someone you convinced you to unblock me, and I appreciate <laughs> that. I know that everyone on the show wanted me to bring that up with you. Um, but uh, <laughs> what, 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 what's the plan? You're just going to be a writer now? No, I'm... I'm... I'm hoping to get back in, you know. I I definitely qualify for any senior position, so <laughs> like senior assistant or something like that. So um, you know, I didn't get a coordinator's job this year and 
I was actually out the year before we won the Super Bowl to Denver mm-hmm. that Gary hired Gary and Elway hired me. So uh, I don't want to stay out again, but, you know, it may happen. We'll see. But, um, you know, consultant or so – I, I just think I can help people win. The last five years, uh, we, we, we won 57 games. So, you know, I, I'm, it's not all me, obviously, but but I think I can help. Yeah, not not too bad, Wade. Well, you've had success everywhere you went, and uh, certainly was a interesting era. Uh, the time you were in Buffalo, for sure, and uh, always oh, yeah. had always had a great deal of respect um, for for your work. So, really, an honor to speak with you, and I, I wish you the best of luck with the book, man. Well, same here. Thanks a lot. Good interview. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Save that, Jonathan. All right. Take care, Wade. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, even though I mentioned that Gary Kubiak was his backup quarterback before I said that he won the Super Bowl with Gary Kubiak, <laughs> you know that I've only been watching 90s football lately, right? right. Um, okay, so we got we checked all the boxes. We got, I mentioned that he blocked me on Twitter and unblocked me, yep. which I'm happy about. It was a forward pass he agreed with, and Flutie Flakes. Yeah. Which I think tells you that he was Team Flutie and not Team Rob Johnson, which I agree with. You got everything in that you wanted to get in, and I think he gave so. you the best soundbite you've ever gotten. On I the think show. so. I think so. Uh, I, I feel like I should tweet that out. Now I have to tweet a link to the book and and a link to the interview where Wade Phillips says, "Good interview." Yeah. Uh, you know, even though I've left out the one Super Bowl that he won the whole time. <laughs> hey, you know what? As a coach, you expect mistakes to be made. No. Um, and I, you know, what's funny is he was on the staff with Houston. Um, but he became a defensive coordinator for the first time with New Orleans. So, you know, he had that experience, and then he went and worked for Bum Phillips with New Orleans after Houston. They had, obviously, more success. But being the D.C. under your dad, which is the situation the Vikings have now, is pretty interesting. Um, so I wanted to circle back because we kind of ran through quickly the, oh, my gosh, it's almost draft month now storylines with mm-hmm. Sage because I've been – draft simming as you might expect and you and i have been putting in some more effort in terms of booking guests so two weeks from now we're going to have antoine winfield jr and we're also going to have christian fulton who's from lsu and we're going to work on a few more hopefully we can get um maybe tyler johnson on the show and a few more drafts prospects because these guys i mean they've got to be working out in their backyards getting ready for the nfl draft and i'm very interested to see how this goes so I am going to, as far as the show goes, try not to focus too much on the idea that we might not play because it's just depressing. Oh, yeah. I, I, it was brought up earlier on the show uh, or Score North Live with Rami, and he mentioned, hey, you know, what could they do? Could it be pushed back? And Mike Florio tweeted out this article about, you know, pushing things back and, uh, you know, potential or potentially playing in a field in West Virginia or something. I don't know. It was really convoluted. I don't want to get into it. But it was, could we take all the NFL and bring them to a remote area where there's no coronavirus and play the NFL season? I'm like, no, what? No. And, and then there was the idea that was on ESPN, one of their analysts who wanted to play the NBA season on a cruise ship. I just can't do it. I, I just, I can't go down this road yet. I just wrote the other day what our friend Jeremiah Searle said on the show about canceling OTAs and how that could impact things. But it's not going to ruin everything. If they 
don't have OTAs. It might make the beginning of the season a little bit more challenging. The rookies might be behind. And so there will be bumps in the road. But I'm still trying to hold out hope that everything can go as planned. And I want to be really excited about the draft and start talking about how things are going to play out. Because that's all we can really do at the moment. I can't tell you when coronavirus is going away. I can't tell you when you can go to the grocery store without holding your breath or putting a mask on or whatever. It's all really upsetting. Uh, So that's why I'm excited to get into draft month and just go pedal to the metal. Which means, you know what I think we should do? I was going to talk about the storylines, but I feel like we should draft sim. Just just because. Because it's time for draft season. And I don't know why, but this weekend... It started to set in for me, even though I was watching sports-related things. The documentary Hoop Dreams, which is still a classic from the early 90s, but it's incredible. And, uh, you know, some 90s football games. I was preparing for a Way Back Wednesday with our friend Eric Eager on, obviously, Wednesday. is going to join us and talk about, actually, a Bills and Vikings game that was a classic from 2000. Yeah. Because I wanted to get into the Culpepper era. We never talk about the Culpepper era on the show. We talk about 98, we talk about Favre, we talked about Cunningham, but we never really get into Culpepper. And so I want to get into Culpepper a little bit this week. And if it sounds like I'm stalling because fan speaks being a little slow, the answer is yes. That's exactly (laughs) what's going on at the moment. Um, But it started to set in this weekend for me that this is going to be our lives for a while. And that was, you know, just man, we're only on week three here of this, and there's going to be a really long time before we can get back to normal. And having football in the distance is kind of that thing that I'm enjoying right now. Like, yeah, this is still going to happen. Even if they have to play without fans to start the season, I'm still good with that. It'd be super weird, but let's get the season started. Let's make sure this this plays. I mean, that's that's the best case scenario. Obviously, I hope that things go way better for the rest of the universe. And, okay, now the website is finally working. So we'll get started here and do a quick draft sim, and we'll do some more tomorrow. Um, but draft season for the Vikings is the most interesting in I don't know how long. Would it have been going into 2000? No, maybe it would have been before that. Probably going into 2014 is the most interesting recent draft season because they have a really high draft pick. When they select Anthony Barr, you have a new head coach. You don't know where they're going to get started in terms of rebuilding the entire franchise. Well, that's kind of how this feels a little bit right now, where you're having to rebuild a bunch of areas, which down the road, it might not be as fun. Come on, fanspeak.com, by the way. (laughs) Come on, buddy. I'm closing out other windows. Let's go. Uh, it usually works really quickly, and thank you to the good folks at fanspeak.com, but it's just being a little slow right now. Anyway, so like uh, as, as we go into this, this is just a great time to have fun with what the Vikings could do to rebuild this roster. As uh, we've played a couple of times, there's a promo we have on our app, the ability to leave a message, and then mm-hmm. we can play it on mic the drop. air. Yep. And the mic drop that the person left that we're using to promote that is like really scorched earth on the Vikings. And I get that. And it's not tremendously wrong or anything. I mean, it's along the right lines, I think, is is they're in a very difficult spot. But it also offers us all sorts of fun opportunities for right now when we really need them because they have so much draft capital with 12 draft picks and all sorts of needs. And even trying to sit down and rank those needs, 
Like, what's number one? What's number two? Is very hard to do. And this draft sim does not look like it's going to happen. Come on. All right. Let me try and pull it up on my All right. It's just, it's just, I'm getting a little spinny thing going on here. Even trying to close out Twitter, it's not working. Um, but I don't even, at this very second, I don't know what to put as their number one draft need because you could easily have it being a, a three or four way tie. Every time I do a draft sim, you know what I forget about is guards. They have yeah. no one playing guard at this moment, unless we count Pat Elfline as a guard. Uh, and I don't think you'd want to do that necessarily, considering how much he struggled in, in terms of pass protection last year. All right, I'm just going to try and restart I the got whole one thing for you. Do, is it up? Yeah, is it working? Yeah. Okay. So 21 comes up. Uh, I've got Jordan Love available. I've got an offensive tackle Ooh. out of Houston. Josh Jones available. Trayvon Diggs is available. Um, the first guard that pops up is John Simpson out of Clemson, but he's down at 41, so I don't think we'll take him. But we've got Xavier McKinney. He's available. Antoine Winfield is available as well. Got a couple selections here. Hmm. So the Jordan Love thing keeps coming up on yeah. a lot of people's draft sims, and I just can't talk myself into it. I think that there are other prospects that are just as good as him, namely Jalen Hurts, who will be available in the second round, even if it was Jake Fromm, who I'm also not super sold on. But if it's the third round and Jake Fromm is sitting there, you might as well take him and see if he can develop into something because he does have talent. You it, you can't talk me into taking a guy who is raw talent and exciting, but also through a ton of interceptions at a small university where you should be running over people if you go to Utah State and you're going to convince me that you should be a top NFL draft pick. I just, I can't move off that. I can't remember anyone who came from a small university that didn't have great statistics and, and really dominate in college. And maybe someone will correct me. I'm sure they will. I, I can't remember too many people who were just pretty meh in college at a small university and then all of a sudden blew up when they got to the NFL. I was just pulling up Ben Roethlisberger, so he went yeah. to Miami, the Ohio version. Mm-hmm. They don't like Miami of Ohio. I don't know why. What? It's a weird thing. They're sensitive. Uh, his final year, he was ninth in Heisman voting, 37 touchdowns, 10 picks, Average over nine yards a pass, 69% completion percentage, nice. So he was just, I mean, like that's the type of domination you expect yeah. or the Steve McNair level domination um, if somebody is going to be really good at the next level. You don't want to be drafting a quarterback in the first round who is pretty developmental like Jordan Love is kind of panning out to be. Yeah, and point. how much you're sold. I know I'm taking a long time with this pick. Um, and we have Joe Goodberry coming up next to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals um, and whether Joe Burrow is actually going to come there and then what their plan is with all their Vikings corners now. Um, but I, it's a no for me on, on Jordan yeah. Love. 17 interceptions is just a lot. Maybe you really buy into his junior season, or I'm sorry, his sophomore season. I don't know. There was a big run on wide receivers. That's why I didn't mention any. Okay, so that would be one of those where you can make the case that the Vikings need to trade up. Mm-hmm. But since we need to make our selection here, um, give me give me a couple of the guys on the board still that you like. I've got Trayvon Diggs. i got Xavier McKinney it's from Alabama. <laughs> it's one Winfield is there. I'm just looking at the cornerbacks and defensive backs right now. Uh, Jeff Gladney. Uh, there's an offensive tackle from Houston, Josh Jones. Yeah, Josh well. Jones is often on the board when I do most of the draft sims. Let's just take Antoine Winfield Jr., He's coming on the show in two weeks, and he's really good. All right, so he's. I enjoy watching him play. 
So then Jordan Love goes to twenty, goes at twenty three right after the Vikings to the Patriots. To the Patriots. So now we're back Again, up. That happened the other day. So at this point, you can really fill out the secondary if you pick Gladney. Is he still on the board? Uh, yes. All right. Let's just go. Let's make Mike Zimmer really happy and select Jeff Gladney. So we have a corner and a safety to start out. Yep. Though I like the fact that Winfield can play a lot of things. So. And I know, then fan speak takes a while to yeah, get to the second round, the second so round. just everyone just wait patiently, and then we'll talk about the Bengals. Like, <laughs> there's the best way I could sell the show during coronavirus. Now I've got the spinning wheel, so. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's all right. Too many people are draft simming in celebration of us turning into draft month. So there you go. Uh, Courtney and I will do one for tomorrow that we do not on a whim, so we know the website works. Um, but fanspeak.com is where you can do them, and then feel free to send yours over. I get like 10 a day on Twitter or an email. And I like looking at all of them, so feel free to send them. All right, let's talk about the number one overall pick in the draft. We have barely discussed it at all, and it will be talked about quite a bit as we go forward here. When we return with Joe Goodberry from Locked On Bengals Podcast, here you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Score North and many of our local advertising partners remain open for business, and you can hear from them daily right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. We are all in this together. Hear how you can support our local community by visiting scorenorth.com, keyword open. Jonathan here with the Score North download. We'll use it to let you know about something we're partnering, someone we're partnering with. Score North continues to partner with the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help make sure our area children continue to receive the meals and care that they need during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Louisa Rise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution enables the Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with a child's health crisis. Those services include overnight accommodations, complimentary meals, fully stocked pantries, laundry, and more. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com, keyword donate. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, from Wade Phillips to Joe Goodberry. How you like that, Joe? That's cool with me. I should, you know, if I was crossing paths with Wade Phillips, I'd wonder why he blocked me on Twitter. Oh, he wait, he blocked you on Twitter? I think he's blocked a few people. I, I think uh, he has some writers that he doesn't agree with. <laughs> well, I brought it up because he had originally blocked me on Twitter, but I I think it was a mistake or he just wanted to stop getting notifications on something I tweeted because I screen grabbed something from a 90s NFL films thing of him jogging slowly with the sheepskin jacket on. And I was like, Wade's coming to fix your defense. <laughs> Just, you know, whatever, right? right? And then it shows up blocked by Wade Phillips. I'm like, no, Wade, you're my favorite. <laughs> like, what the That's hell? That's how I feel. Yeah. Right. I, I've always been complimentary of Wade Phillips. I think he's one of the best DCs, you know, that leads you the last 25 years. And so when I saw it the one day, I was like, man, what a bummer this is. Yeah. So I had someone else, some, I forget how it worked, but someone else tweeted to him like can you unblock at Matthew Collar he thinks it was a forward pass and he loves you and so then he actually did unblock <laughs> me so maybe someone else just needs to vouch for you to get you unblocked by Wade Phillips but uh, anyway so that's who you're following Joe and uh, Joe Goodberry does the Lockdown Bengals podcast also writes for the Athletic Cincinnati covering the Cincinnati Bengals and is a great follow on Twitter covering all things Bengals and I have to ask you this Joe I'm sorry because I'm sure this has come up constantly on twitter and it's probably not a thing but it you never know joe burrow's gonna play for the Bengals, right 
Yeah, I think that's uh, pretty certain. Well, at least I could say 100% certainty. Well, nothing's 100 days, I guess. 99.9, the Bengals will draft Joe Burrow. So I'm going to lean that he will play for the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a little weird there for a minute, though. Like, before the combine, it was people around Joe Burrow being like, I don't know, maybe he might tell the Bengals he doesn't want to play for the Bengals. right? And then he comes out at the combine and says, no, if they draft me, I'll play for them and, and such. And it seemed to make the story disappear at that point. But I, it's worth bringing up just because it is the NFL. You never know. And it yep. has happened before. You know, he's hard to read sometimes. Sometimes he's confident, borderline cocky. And then other times when you listen to him at the podium or, or in interviews, he's very down-to-earth and humble and doesn't want to assume anything because he's come from being a backup from, for so long. That I think sometimes when he was answering those questions, I'm thinking, which side is he coming from? Mm-hmm. Is he coming from, well, I, I don't want to assume I'm the number one pick, or, you know, I, I want to play for a winner talking, as I saying, the Bengals aren't that, obviously. So, it, you know, it was kind of both sides. And I, I saw where the confusion came from, but I think when you dug a little deeper in those past interviews, I took the side of, I think he's just trying to say, listen, from where I've come from, I shouldn't assume I'm the number one pick. Any scenario where they trade out of it, don't select him. I mean, it just is, it's a foregone conclusion, but I, I just, because it is the NFL and weird things happen, it goes through my mind of like, well, what if Washington offered him this and maybe they like Tua? And but I don't know. Is he so clearly the first pick over Tua, even if Tua is healthy, that there's no chance we're surprised? You know what the hard part for me is? Is I think the Bengals would have Justin Herbert number two. So, for me, when, like, when all these scenarios come up, like, would you trade back with the Dolphins? Would you trade back or to number three? Whatever the case may be. I go, I would consider it with a bunch of picks and Tua, but with Tua's injury and the kind of the situation the whole NFL and the world is in right now, uh, you kind of are left in the dark where Tua is and where his health is. I think the assumption is he'll be ready eventually and he'll be okay eventually. Uh, but the Bengals, I think, have Herbert number two. And when I see those scenarios and think of those scenarios, I go, no, it's too far of a gap there from Burrow to Herbert. If it was Burrow to Tua, then I could potentially see it. But that's just not what I am I think is going on in that building. When you said Herbert, Jonathan and I both looked at each other and made the same face. Like, what? Uh, but I can I, I can picture the face. <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, again, it goes to the, it's football, so you have to leave the door open because they love their giant guys who throw the football really hard. And that is what's interesting about Burrow is he's not a guy who played at this high of a level for very long, just the one season. And he's also not, he is athletic and he is, I don't know, taller than me, but it, he does not fit that. He's six five. He's got a mega arm. These things that teams make mistakes on. He's a guy that I think you and I are sort of analytically minded. We would look at it and say, well, accuracy is really the thing that wins in the NFL and a playmaking mentality. And he has those things. And he actually is the guy that you would sort of design outside of the one year wonder type of thing, but design in terms of his skill set of who you wanted to be a top quarterback, as opposed to some of the ones like your Josh Allen's who have gone really high in the past. It's kind of weird to, to come from the reverse side of all this. If you've watched draft prospects for years, you're, it's always quarterback are okay. This guy's big, tall, strong, uh, good arm. Now, does he have accuracy? Can he throw it deep? Can he read coverages? Can he have, uh, can he make things happen off script? Can he, you know, the, with those secondary reactions? How's his pocket presence? Like you start to, you want to ask, answer all those questions and you're okay with a few of them not being there and you say, okay, maybe he can develop that in the NFL. 
this is a weird one because he has all of those things you typically look for. You just go, well, he doesn't have a great arm, and that's about it. And I think when you get to that point, you you step back and say, who have been the best quarterbacks in the league over the last 20 years, whether it's Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning? have Were they A-plus rocket arms, or mm-hmm. did they have everything else? And they did. And when you watch Joe Burrow, and you hope, because it really was only one season, one magical season, uh, last year's tape was okay. It wasn't a first overall pick by any means, but you hope that that's who he is or you can continue to see that ascension from him. Uh, I think that's the biggest concern is the arm, and he, he did it really a high level for one year. It feels like a lot of those NFL people who did all the drafting in the last seven, ten years, whatever, uh, they all kind of came up in the league watching Elway and Marino and were like, well, yeah, I mean, the guy's just like Elway or Marino. Look how hard he throws it. <laughs> you can just do that. Um, but that hasn't worked out for many. And that it does make Burrow an interesting prospect just because you, you can look at his supporting cast and say, Look at those receivers. I mean, they're so good. There's so much talent. And the offensive design is perfect. But I also think when you go back and look at the results, we said some of the same things about Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray of, well, how much is the supporting cast? How much is the quarterback? And I think the answer, Joe, is that we never really know. Like, you don't really have a great feel for that until you get there because someone like Tim Tebow, I mean, you had NFL people, NFL legendary quarterbacks coming out and saying, I remember Jim Kelly did this. Like, oh, you've got to get Tebow. He's such a winner. And you just sort of overlooked that the rest of the team that year, including like Percy Harvin, uh, was there with Tebow for a while. I mean, just unbelievable talent around him, and they were really holding him up, and he was just getting all of the attention. But I, I don't think that's the case with Burrow, but I also think that you always put your life in your hands with that, no matter who we're talking about. You know, I think the weird part with LSU is because when you look at them, and I've watched a lot of Burrow tape, and you start to go, wow, that guard's really good, the center's really good, the running back's good, both receivers are good, the tight end's good. And then when you get to the draft process, and that offensive line won O-line of the year, the Remington Award, and you get into the the prospects and you're looking at them and you go, well, I think Lloyd Cushenberry probably is a second, maybe third-round guy. Damian Lewis, the right guard, is probably a third, maybe fourth, fifth-round guy. Shadiq Charles, the left tackle, probably a fourth, fifth-round guy. You go, well, maybe they're not actually that good. They worked well as a unit. Clyde edwards alaire you go, he's probably a second at best, probably a third or fourth-round guy at you know fair value. I think Justin Jefferson being the, the wide receiver is a slot guy, and he's projected to go in the 20 range. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was still there in round two because slot guys get undervalued in, in the NFL. Uh, and then Thaddeus Moss, Randy Moss's son at tight end, probably a fourth, fifth-round tight end. So you, you step back and say maybe they just worked well together. Maybe they elevated each other. And isn't it probably true that the quarterback tends to elevate those guys, yeah. whether it's college or NFL. You feel like you know you can step back away, and once you're out of the, the the energy and the fun of what it was in January, culminating for LSU's championship run, you say, "Yeah, if the quarterback is the one that's going number one, maybe it was the quarterback." Spoken like a man who has had bad quarterback play for a long time. Uh, Joe Goodberry, yes. uh, Locked On Bengals podcast, also the Athletic Cincinnati. Um, so I, I got a couple of Vikings related things to ask you, Joe. Number one is why did all the Vikings corners join the Bengals? 
I have no idea. That is weird to me also. You know, it's funny because uh, when Mike Zimmer went to the Vikings, there was a lot of free agents coming from the Bengals where we would always speculate whether it was Vikings guys or Bengals yep. guys going, you know, do you think they'll pick him up? Do you think And that never really happened. And um, and then Mike Zimmer continued to do what he did always in Cincinnati, and they drafted first-round corners or high-round high corners. And uh, it, it mixed results, I guess. Uh, you know, and then – here, the Bengals needed to replace a couple guys, former first-rounders, Drake Kirkpatrick and Dark Wesden Hard, while Kirkpatrick's still on the roster. I expect him to be moved any time now. And it just fit. They needed a boundary outside left corner, and they needed a nickel slot guy. I really liked Mackenzie Alexander. I'm glad they picked him up. Trey Waynes, I was more iffy on, and that was actually the big contract they gave out. So I found it very interesting that it went the other way this time, and the Vikings guys went to Cincinnati. Well, and the uh, deal for Mackenzie Alexander is, I think, a home run for Cincinnati. $4 million on a one-year contract. It seems like he's sort of betting on himself, but also we're still seeing nickel corners being vastly undervalued, and I think uh, the Vikings will miss what Alexander brought to them over the last two years once he developed into that position. Uh, But on a kind of a bigger picture scale, Joe, I've been using the Cincinnati Bengals, and sorry for this, as uh, the example of the worst-case scenario for the Vikings. That they are really successful for a few years. They're in the playoffs all the time. They're being talked about as a legitimate contender. The quarterback play is good, but not Patrick Mahomes good. And then all of a sudden the clock hits zero on you. And then uh, you lose a bunch of players. Everybody gets old. You give out some bad contracts or you lose players because they want to sign elsewhere for more money. And all of a sudden you're six and 10 or seven and nine for three or four years in a row. How can the Vikings avoid what happened in the late Marvin Lewis era to the Cincinnati Bengals? I think there's two ways to win. Either you have an elite quarterback and you build around him and you try and ride him as far as you can go in, in the playoffs. Or you have a rookie or, or a quarterback on a rookie deal that's relatively cheap in comparison to what you Kirk Cousins, obviously, one of, one of the bigger contracts, and you save that money and you use it towards building the offensive line, giving them weapons, the defense, whatever it may be. Uh, and that seems to be the two ways to go. Look at the Chiefs right now. They have $177 in cap space because they're not paying Pat Mahomes anything. They're in line to compete for it again. Uh, or if you can't get those things done, what teams kind of fall in the trap of, and I think the Bengals did this, I think the, the Vikings definitely did this, is you're paying a guy that's good but not great at quarterback, and you're paying him so much that it ends up meaning you can't pay this wide receiver or you can't pay this right tackle or you can't pay this defensive tackle, this corner, whatever it may be, the team starts to, de- starts to deteriorate. I'll bring you back a couple of years, 2017, the Bengals were picking ninth overall, and they, this is two years coming off of Andy Dalton's 2015 season where he was really good. Yes. And they were saying, well, we're going to consider every position. This was a Marvin Lewis quote. We'll consider every position at the number nine pick except for quarterback. <laughs> you go through 2017, that draft, they draft John Ross because they want to give a wow. weapon for Andy Dalton. Old takes exposed pick, on that one. Wow. Yeah. The next, the next pick is Pat Mahomes. Two picks after that is Deshaun Watson. Now, where does the next three years go for them if they make that quarterback? If they're not blinded by trying to fix what they currently have and try and look big picture and say, let's take the guy if he's there. If there's a quarterback available and you don't have an elite guy and you think he is a franchise or a potential franchise quarterback, because that's the thing too. These potential guys lately 
are kind of hitting their potential, whether it's Lamar Jackson or, or even Josh Allen in Buffalo. I mean, I, there was a lot of people that didn't think he'd even be that. But the high upside guys seem to be hitting if you can put the right offense around them mm-hmm. and the system around them to at least give you that chance. And maybe Minnesota's still there and Jordan Love is there and they think he's really good, right? They shouldn't bypass it. That's my That's my warning to them. I don't know how they feel about love, but if they believe love can be that guy, then screw it. Two years later, you'll have your quarterback and your window will be open again. Well, in all the draft sims now, he's showing up at 25. So we were just talking about that last segment after uh, we talked with Wade Phillips. We just, you know, whenever there's a, a five minutes on the show, we just draft him because why not? And, uh, that keeps coming up, that scenario. And I don't love Jordan Love, but he does have that type of talent where you would say, you know, if he sits behind Cousins for two or three years, then maybe mm-hmm. he becomes something. Or maybe he becomes, I don't know, Brett Hundley or something, or Deshaun Kaiser, somebody who we talked about the same way and never became anything. Brian Brom back in the day. Um, I remember Mel Kuyper saying something like, Brian Brom could take the job away from Aaron Rodgers. But even that, even though that worked out hilariously bad for the Packers, it's always defensible, I think. Even if you don't like the the quarterback prospect, it's always defensible to have another plan uh, because you just never know what's going to happen at that position. This is the team that saw Teddy Bridgewater's knee just suddenly collapse and lose their franchise quarterback. And, And so I would defend it all day long if they did something like that. I think there's two interesting stories that have stuck with me, and it was the Packers drafting Aaron Rodgers and how it took really their GM to say, you know, we've got to have some guts because not everyone was in on it. It was They had a split decision. Normally, like, if you're split with an organization or the coaching staff, you don't take that quarterback because right. you just don't need that type of headache. But because they were split and they said, listen, we've got to be bold. It's never going to happen unless we go make it happen, and they made it happen there. And then it's the Baltimore Ravens. And when they're sitting there and, yeah, they drafted Hayden Hurst, but they're like, man, we should go up and get – Lamar Jackson, we should go do it. And the other half half of that organization is like, well, we could probably still win with Flacco if we go get another tackle or if we go get a defensive end. And they and they said, well, is Jackson a sure thing? And they're like, no. But everyone's been chasing Drew Brees and Tom Brady's, and no one can find a Drew Brees or a Tom Brady in the right. draft. Let's go try right. something else. Let's be bold and go and do it. Uh, because you got to be honest, if the Vikings draft a receiver or a corner to replace some of the positions they've lost or offensive line, When that guy is good in two years, where is this roster going to be? Everyone wants to fill this year's holes, but you're not really doing that. You're kind of filling two years from now holes, and you really don't know what that roster is going to look like or what you're going to be in. No, I think that's a great point, Joe, is that uh, we always think of it because we're sort of coming off free agency. All right, what do you have left? And then Rick Spielman said this year we'll have to fill uh, roles in the draft, which, of course, because you don't have any players or cap space, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to panic and take players for right now when usually they take a year to develop. And just uh, I've got the draft sim website. It wasn't working last segment, which was a nightmare. But now it is, so we're good. And even even looking at this draft sim for the Vikings, it comes up and, and Jordan Love is on the board, but you have an offensive tackle and you have corners. I think it always has to be about who's the best player at this point because – of where the Vikings are with so many holes. So I, I know you're a draft Nick to go along with uh, the Bengals too. And I, I wanted to ask you just before you go, if there's somebody in the draft who you just can't get out of your head outside of Joe Burrow, we know your your team is taking Joe Burrow, but if there's somebody else that you're really intrigued by, that's sort of like your draft obsession for this year. 
it's Denzel Mims, wide receiver from Baylor, man. Um, and he's skyrocketed since the end of the season upwards because um, I think when you watch him at Baylor, and this is a guy that's big and fast and strong and makes crazy catches, body control up in the air, just boxing guys out, deep threat. He ran like four or five routes at Baylor, and there was oftentimes he's not getting any separation. And I'm like, all right, so typically those guys don't translate. And then we go down to the Senior Bowl, and you get to see him there, and he puts on a clinic route running. I'm just undresses people. And then I think when people think of route running, they automatically think of footwork and, you know, steps and, and winning that way. But there's so much route running with your hands and, and getting guys off you and getting free. And he was doing that like a five to ten year vet. And I'm like, whoa, okay, this wasn't on film at all. Has he been working on this or what's going on here? And then you go back and watch the tape again, you're like, oh, it's there subtly. They just weren't giving him an, enough variance in his routes or, mm-hmm. or asking him to do enough. And then he blows up the combine and tests like a top athlete. And I'm just like, okay, he's got everything I want. If he's there at 33, I want Denzel Mims. And I don't even think the Bengals need a receiver right now, but I don't care. In two years, they'll probably need one, and I want it to be Denzel Mims. Well, at the moment, uh, everybody seems to be mocking him to the Vikings after trading away Stephon Diggs. So, well, Joe, I always love your draft analysis and uh, your good work on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry, Locked on Bengals podcast, along with the Athletic Cincinnati. Great stuff, Joe. Great to have you on, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep, we'll do it again soon with uh, Joe Burrow. Maybe, uh, not Joe Burrow, Joe Goodberry, before they draft Joe Burrow. And so I got drafts him to work, and I took yeah. Denzel Mims because he just said that. Here's here's the uncomfortable nature of the late first round, though. So Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Houston, is there on my board as I draft mm-hmm. him to finish up the show. Trayvon Diggs is also there. Yeah. Somebody reported that you know probably not because it is super uncomfortable but he's really big he's really fast he fits kind of the exact zimmer specifications but also austin jackson is there he's another tackle from usc i think he's a good athlete sort of fits the bill let's let's try that let's go austin jackson from usc and say, sorry, Trayvon Diggs, we traded your brother, so we can't because it's too uncomfortable, and then see how that plays out. So if the Vikings, but that's that's the thing that's hard, though, because the Vikings absolutely need another receiver, and they need a tackle for the future, and Adam Thielen is still in his prime, but he's not getting younger, so you want to have another receiver developing behind him and so forth. But convincing Mike Zimmer to take the first two picks as a wide receiver and offensive tackle, I just... I'm having a really tough time seeing it. Good luck making that or trying to convince him to do that. I know. And the other part of it, too, is that every great corner and Antoine Winfield Jr., whatever you want to call him, he's the hybrid, Mm -hmm. they all come off the board after the first round. So usually what happens in the draft sims is I'm getting spinny wheel again. Uh, What happens in the draft sims is I get to the second round and all the corners are gone. Yeah. So now it's like the really good corners are probably going to be taken at yeah, in the middle rounds because everybody or in the middle of the first round because everybody knows how valuable these guys are. So CJ Henderson is probably taken. Uh maybe Christian Fulton who we're going to get on the show, but I think it's reasonably possible he could end up where the Vikings are. Still, that's kind of the scenario they're facing is if you don't draft a first round corner, then you're looking at somebody who probably can't start right away if you're taking him in the second and potentially having to reach Kind of like what happened with Tackle a few years ago. They really got lucky with Brian O'Neill, but that's what happened. All the tackles went off the board, and they were like, okay, who's left here? And he's turned out to be a really good player. 
All right, I've gotten to the second round of my draft sim. I can take A.J. Terrell, who's a corner from Clemson. This is what I'm talking about. Like, okay, he's... I mean, that's not a guy who you think, okay, that's a starter. Right. Uh, Alabama pass rusher Terrell Lewis. Pass rusher from Alabama sounds good to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I could take um, Jordan Elliott, who's an interior rusher. I'm not as interested in that. Let's... Let's go with, or I could take Kyle Duggar, who's the small school safety that's a freak athlete but might need a year. I mean, this is this is why next month is going to be so interesting, Jonathan, is because what what they do with Anthony Harris is a domino to fall. And do they sign another veteran guard? Do they convince Josh Klein to come back, which would just be like, what? Uh <laughs> <laughs> But that apparently is still on the table. Well, let's let's take the edge rusher here. That, I feel like, is something that we haven't really talked about the Vikings drafting high because it's not a great edge rusher draft. So, the, unfortunately, the year that you lose Everson Griffin, yeah. there's really only a couple of guys who are expected to go really high. So I think I could see that first round playing out the way you did it if all signs that we've seen so far through this offseason pointed that Mike Zimmer didn't have as much say over the roster as he has in the past. But everything that we've seen so far That's right. and the way they've talked shows that Mike Zimmer still has a lot of control over that 53-man roster. Right. When you pay a nose tackle $27 million, <laughs> and my whole point about Michael Pierce was not that he isn't good. It's about the money that they're spending with how much they have left. Yeah. And I, I saw two other defensive tackles signed for like one year $5 million or one year $3 million. So I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sure Pierce is great. I just saying that the price was uh, a lot. But you're right. It is very hard to see. And I could see them trading up for a corner, but we're going to have a month to discuss it. I know it's not tomorrow that's April. It's the next day. But you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of gearing up for this now and getting excited about it. Courtney Cronin will be on tomorrow. Uh, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. He does their draft stuff. Fun show today. And thank you to Wade Phillips for agreeing with me that it was indeed a forward pass. Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.